Hebrews 6.10. Hebrews 6.10. In fact, I'm going to ask you to write down or use your phone, whatever you do, just the references. Don't get into writing everything down because you're going to lose what I'm going to say. I want you to write down the references so you can check it out because remember in Acts 17, the Berean Christians checked out what Paul and Silas was telling them to see if it was true. I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take the word of God. So write down the references that I'm sure. Are they recording this? Oh, good. That's good. So then you can pick up whatever it is that they record on. Uh, but it's just the references that I want you to search because I think that's what's going to stick more. Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work, your service, your ministry. He will not forget your work. Listen to this. And the love you have shown him. We show God love by working and serving his people. For the love you have shown him as you help his people and continue and continue and continue. So God bless you for showing up. I'm, um, I'm going to share the last 37 years of pastoring. Uh, Marie and I got saved. You probably heard their testimony. We got saved in 75 before most of you were even born. Uh, and we were both divorcees. We were drug addicts. We were immoral. And yet God saved us in you know, I never thought we'd be pastors. And uh, the fact that we have three, three sons that are all in the ministry is just a, a work of God because we weren't qualified. But God, but with God, nothing's impossible. And so uh, we've been, I've been pastoring, Marie and I have been pastoring for 37 years, saved 47 years, married 47 years, saved 37 years. In fact, Alex, one of our deacons, he serves with his wife, Wanda, in our church. And also Jacob, who works with our young people. So welcome them. I purposely wanted to bring them because I think, I'm not sure if the count is exact, but I think it's about 18 young men that traveled with Paul. About 18. He purposely took young men with him. Or if it's a woman traveling, like when my wife travels, she'll bring some of the young girls with her. Just so that they're there to help. And for the signs and miracles of one is absolutely. But for the times Paul spent in prison or got beaten or was on a shipwreck, they saw the whole picture of ministry. So I asked them to come along and they're driving me and I love that. I think it's great. <laughs> um, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said it's the nature of a fire to go out. Feed the fire. It's the nature of a fire. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to put water on it. You don't have to put a blanket on it. Just stop feeding it. It will go out. And with the fire that we need to have for the work of the Lord, the nature is to go out. We need to feed it. And growth is not automatic. Growth is intentional. You're deliberate about growth. The only thing that's automatic is decay. And these are the things that we want to guard against. Uh, practical theology, and I'm going to hit on some of that. Because in the Bible, over 300 times, it tells us to remember. Remember, remember. The most common, I think, or the most popular, or most familiar is when Jesus told us to remember his death at the communion table. Uh, but we know that Paul told about it, talked about it in 1 Corinthians 11, Philippians 1. It, it's, it's also 3 1. It's also stated that we should be reminded. In fact, Paul and Peter was very intentional about reminding the people of what they already knew. There's a tendency to want to know something new. But if you don't remember what you've already learned, it's going to be really difficult for you to grasp something new. In fact, when uh, Peter wrote his two letters, the second letter, in three chapters, four times he says, 
remember, and he actually says in the last chapter, the third chapter, that he wrote 1 Peter and 2 Peter solely for the purpose of reminding the saints what they already knew. Oh, Pastor Terry says that's not, you know, we, we get that. Yeah, but there's a tendency that we forget. For instance, Paul, writing to the elders in Acts, the 20th chapter, and the last time he was going to see them, he says this, and notice the sequence. This is Acts 20, 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. You're all leaders. Before you watch over the flock, you have to watch over yourself. We, we tend to worry about others, which is important, but if I'm not healthy, then how am I going to be healthy for them, spiritually speaking, right? Uh, Paul writes to Timothy from a prison in Rome, 1 Timothy 4.16, he says, watch the sequence, watch your life and doctrine closely. Life precedes doctrine. I'm all about doctrine. The epistles are about doctrine. But too often I can get hung up in the doctrine and not watch my life. How I am when I'm not in front of all of you. How I am with my wife, Maria. How I am with my kids. My grandkids, they're perfect, so I don't have to worry about them. But with my sons and my daughter-in-laws, how am I acting there? I need to watch my life closely before doctrine. However, the same teaching that Paul gave to Timothy and the elders, obviously they didn't remember that because 30 years later, God has to have the Apostle John on the island of Patmos write a book or a letter called Revelation. And in the second chapter, the very first church he addresses is Ephesus and says, you've forsaken your first love. Ephesus was the church that Paul founded, that Timothy pastored, and yet they forgot. They forgot. And with all that great teaching, over time, we can get, we can get overly familiar with the ministry and, 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 and services and preaching and teaching. And when pastors up here preaching, don't let anything distract you. Don't let, you have your phone taking notes. I know that's what we do now, but at least shut it off so you don't receive anything. We know the old trick that you're looking at the text coming in, but you're thinking it's a scripture. It's not, it's your text. We know that. <laughs> in ministry, and I, I've, I've been in ministry from when I first got saved. I just jumped right into it. Um, there's a tendency for people to leave the room when their job is over. Um, whether they're singers or the, or the musicians or, or the technicians. Once, once their responsibility is over, we go hang out in the back. Is there a place to rest, especially for services? Yeah, you need to rest. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you don't want to ignore the word of God. But, but I heard that before. He said that. It doesn't matter. Hear it again. Remember over and over and over. Repetition is the best kind of teaching. And so often we can get overly familiar. Oh, I heard this sermon from Pastor Anthony. Okay, hear it again. When you think about, when you, you know, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke only cover about a month of Jesus' life on earth. Paul covers about 18, uh, not Paul, John covers about 18 days. That's all. That's all we know about Jesus, really, very little. But those disciples heard those words, those sermons, over and over and over again. That's why sometimes you see in Scripture that a similar, like it, the, the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew, and it's also in Luke. But in Matthew, it was in the north, and Luke, it was in the south. Well, those disciples were sitting there, well, we heard this one before, but you need to hear it again, because obviously, they had issues. They had a lot of issues. We all got issues, but they had a lot, and it's been written for all eternity for us to read it. And so it's so important that we make sure we don't ignore the word of God and we watch over ourselves and we don't forget what's being taught. Because whatever God is saying to Pastor Anthony and Pastor Miriam and to the other pastors here, it's for all of us. That's what God, God's using him, his mouthpiece, to speak to the work here. 
And so um, I want to remind you, I want to remind you of the basic fundamentals. You know, in sports, they always in the beginning of the season, get back to the basics. You got to remember. And the fundamentals are so important. And sometimes, you know, we, we, we just dismiss them. It, it helps us, it guards us. When we go on mission trips, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm so happy they're going, and listen, digging playgrounds is not easy because the ground is hard. Uh, and they're probably exhausted, so continue to pray for them that they stay hydrated, nothing, and, and they have no accidents or anything like that. But when you go on mission trips, things could happen. Well, it could happen when you can come to church. You know, I see that you have a parking lot. I love that. Well, I don't. I'm envious. Um, because you can park your car. We, we, we thank God when we get out and our car is still there. Um, but things happen when you come to church or you go on a, a, mission, a mission trip. And, and there has to be an attitude. My favorite verse is Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens, whatever happens, whatever, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That takes discipline. That takes intentionality because things happen. People cut you off on the road. Somebody gets ahead of you. Somebody says an unkind word to you. You can respond either way, by the spirit or in the flesh. So that's why it has to be intentional. I'm going to conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a team right here. Thank you. Thank Jesus for all of you guys. What you need is unity. That doesn't mean you all look alike or agree or act alike, but you do need unity. We know that the 133rd Psalm says that how pleasant and beautiful it is when the brethren dwell together, live together, work together. And that's where the anointing falls, from the top of the head down. We need the anointing in everything that we do teaching children, running sound, playing instruments, preaching sermons, whatever it is, counseling, we need God's anointing. So how, how, do we, how do we sustain, how do we keep that anointing? By being unified, by willing to accept one another. Some people are extroverts, some people are introverts. We're all different. People are loud, people are quiet. It's it just what, what it is, but that's God. God puts us all together. Think about the disciples. He had fishermen, and then he had Simon the Zealot, who was a political activist, with Matthew, who's a tax collector. Like, God, why would you do that? They hate each other. God put them together because he wanted to teach us that God is about everybody. But God so loved the... He doesn't love all the choices the world makes, but he loves the world. And so as a team, we're different. We're all different. And, and, and God's, God's okay with that. And we have to be okay with that. And you have diversity uh, and, and, and being able to be different, yet still working together. And, and who's quiet and who's not and who's loud. And, and, and the scriptures, I, you know, when, I got, when Maria and I got saved, it was 75, 1975. Right after Noah built the ark. And um, at that time, at that time, it was very male-dominated. Very male-dominated. The men did everything. Not in the way that pastor's doing now with men. It was just dominated by men. Very few women were really used back in 75, at least in my culture. Um, and uh, chairs were up on the platform and everybody sat there and you had to be in a shirt and tie. And uh, that, that's the way it was. But there's been change. There's been change. When I first got saved, I would never get up in front of anyone dressed like this. You had to have a suit on. You had to have a tie on. You don't wear sneakers to church. That was the, that was the MO. No, I think it was fine for then. But it's not like that anymore. And so we have to be okay with change and realizing that God pours out his spirit as it says in Acts 2, but also in Joel 2, Old and New Testament. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. It's not a male-dominated world. It has been. It shouldn't be, though. Because God said, I'm going to pour out my, 
my spirit on all flesh, men and women, young and old. In, in fact, um, you know, I, I, by the grace of God, when, when we started our church uh, back in 85, um, Marie and I were very intentional about what we put up here. Let's get rid of those big chairs. You know, they're just, they're just ridiculous. And like a stranger coming in or someone that didn't know the Lord coming in would say, what, what is that? Is that a hierarchy up there? Are they better than the people over here? And it, it just was weird. So we got rid of the chairs, the big fancy chairs, and we changed the dress code, and we were intentional about putting men and women up on top and young and old, so that when people came in, not so much the member, but the visitors, they wouldn't think this is kind of weird. They would say, wow, I'm welcome here. I don't have a tie on, but obviously I can come here. I, I'm not old like that old guy, but obviously I can come here. You know, and, and, and we were intentional about doing that because God's about diversity. When you read about the tabernacle, when uh, God gave Moses all these instructions, he was talking about different styles of uh, drapery and clamps and bars and all kinds of different material. And it was all different. Yet, yet it says this in Exodus 26, verse 6, mentioning all those different materials, it says, but there may be one tabernacle. All different material right here in this room. All different. One tabernacle. One church. We serve one church. You know, Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 25. And I'm just reminding you. I'm just reminding you. This is a memory course. Matthew 12, 25. A house divided will not stand. That's a promise. That's a, a ministry divided will not stand. Well, you know, we're having issues. Okay, get on your knees and pray and ask God for direction. There can't be division in the ministry or the church. Can't be division in a home. It will not stand. That's the words of Jesus. You know, Paul goes into that whole description in 1 Corinthians 12 about the body, all the different body parts. I mean, that's just so symbolic for the church. The eye doesn't look like the hand. The foot doesn't look like the, 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 the arm. But it's all needed for the body to function. And we have to be okay with that, even though we may not agree or look like or want to be like somebody else. They're our brother. They're our sister. And we have to understand we're supposed to be like, like brothers and sisters united in family. Accepting different change, accepting, accepting, you know what, uh, songs, I love your worship team, love your worship team, the musicians, but songs like this weren't sung 20 years ago. And sometimes, and like I said, I've been pastoring for quite some time now, we've gone through changes, people say, what about the hymns? Well, the hymns today are the hymns that are being created, and there are the hymns from the past. You know the hymns from the past got pushback? What a friend I ha we have in Jesus was, was uh, really fought against because they said it sounded like a bar song. Just as I am, the song that Billy Graham uses for all those conversions, they thought it was too gooey. It was like a romance song when they were new. But now they're, now they're staples. Now we love them. And again, it goes back to change. It goes about accepting what God might be doing. You know, and we have to be okay with that. Um, write this down, 2 Chronicles 5.10. 2 Chronicles 5.10. By the way, we don't know what hymns Paul was singing in the prison in Acts 16, but they were hymns of that day, right? The songs of that day. 2 Chronicles 5.10, 1 Kings 8.9. 2 Chronicles 5.10, 1 Kings 8.9. Someone said if, if a, a portion of Scripture is repeated more than once, we should think twice about what it says. So here's twice, and here's what it says. There was nothing in the ark except two tablets that, the Moses, that Moses had placed in Horeb. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets, which was the Ten Commandments, that Moses placed in, in the mountain of Horeb. What does that mean? 
Never finish a chapter just to finish the chapter. If God says something at the moment, stop. Just stop. Holy Spirit, what are you showing me? Maybe you even have to do a little research at that moment. Oh, but I got to finish the chapter. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's that legalist part of us. We feel we got to finish it. No, you don't. Stop for a moment. Explore. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Or maybe get out a book and call somebody. But stop while I was, when I read this, I, this was strange because this is when Solomon was dedicating the temple. And if you remember, when they dedicated the temple, the worship was so incredible that the ministers couldn't even minister. I mean, it was an incre- incredible worship service. But here's this statement that when they brought in the ark, the only thing that was in there were the two tablets of stone. Well, if you remember, in the ark, there was the bowl of manna, and then there was Aaron's rod that budded, which helped decide that Aaron was going to be the high priest at the time, and the two tablets of stone, but now there's not. So in the dispensation of Moses, all the way up to Solomon, we don't know when those other two items came out. All we know is at this point now, in this dispensation, all there is is the word of God and nothing else. That told me that things change, but the word of God never changes. God's God's provision of the bowl of manna, he doesn't provide anymore with a bowl of manna. His his way of choosing leadership is not a, a rod budding anymore. But the word of God, that stays the same. And so things may change. Ten years from now, the young people are not going to look like you. They're not. They're not going to be singing our songs. Things change, and we got to be okay with that. But the Word of God, that never changes. New seasons, new disposition. And listen, what we, as, as you sang before with the Holy Spirit, that's what we need more than anything before. And God promises he'll pour out his Spirit on all flesh. I don't, sometimes as good as traditions are when they start, they can become like a rut. If you get stuck in a rut, you can't get out of it. Remember when it snows real hard and you sit, your tires are spinning and you can't get out of the rut? Or if you get into mud, you can't go forward because you, you can't go to the left or the right because you're stuck in a rut. Traditions could become a rut. They may have started out great, but all of a sudden they lock you in. That's what happened with the Pharisees. And, and, and they got annoyed with Jesus because he didn't, I think Jesus was a millennial. Yeah, well, he was 30, 31, 32, right? Millennial. He didn't dress like the rabbis. He didn't go where the rabbis went. He went with the tax collectors and the, and the drunkards and the immoral women. He was fine with all that. He never sinned, but he welcomed the sinner. They never, sinners had no problem being with Jesus. That's the, way, that's the way people should feel about our church. They should have no problem being with us. They may not agree with us, but they should have no problem with it. Well, Jesus uh, made sure that he reached who he came for, the laws, and traditions were such an issue for the Pharisees that they, it angered them the way Jesus was acting. But Jesus says this in Matthew 15, 6. Matthew 15, 6. You nullify the word for the sake of your traditions. You make void the word. And that's interesting because Jesus is the word. You nullify the word for the sake of your traditions. Paul said in Colossians 2, 8, traditions can hold you captive. They may start out well, but then all of a sudden, traditions, we wear ties and shirts and suits. Great. I like dressing up. I'm going to wear a suit for Easter. Don't tell them, but I am. But it can't be a tradition that one looks better than the other because of it. It it, it locks you in. You You know what? You get judgmental. You get cynical. You get critical. You begin to criticize people because they're not looking exactly like you. And I, and I believe every church has a personality. You have a personality. And if people want to come here, then they're going to accept your personality. But if they don't look like us, then we shouldn't judge them. 
or try to shape them into looking like us. Um, I do believe, though, what you put up here is what's going to happen out here. Here's why. Genesis 30. Uh, Jacob, not my Jacob, Jacob in the Bible. Um, Jacob is serving his uncle, Laban, and uh, Laban knows that God's hand is on Jacob. And so he tells him, look, I want you to work for me, stay a little longer, and, uh, and watch over my flocks. So Jacob says, okay, fine, here's what we'll do. I'll give you all the unblemished sheep, which has more value, than the highest value of the sheep. I'll keep the ones that are streaked or spotted. Those are inferior because they're not unblemished. So Laban thinks, all right, I got the best, I got, I got the best part of this deal. Laban agrees. Jacob, this is chapter 30, Genesis. Jacob, obviously directed by God, builds these water troughs. And the water troughs behind them, he puts these branches, three different types of trees, and he peels the branches back. You ever read that? Peels back the branches. So when the sheep come to drink, they end up reproducing spotted, speckled sheep. It was something divine. But what, what that told me was that what I put before the sheep, with all due respect, the congregants, when they come to drink at prayer meeting or on Sunday, what they see before them is what they're going to reproduce. So as I was saying before, we're very intentional about making sure up here the platform is mixed. Gender mixed, age mixed, um, clothes mixed, whatever. You want to wear a suit? Fine. You want to come in sandals? Somebody said to me, can I wear sandals to church? I said, well, Jesus did, so I guess you can. <laughs> what you put before the people is what's going to get reproduced out here. It's so important that we're being mindful of that because, remember, growth is intentional. It's not automatic. You have to be intentional about it. You have to be intentional about engineering the atmosphere. Like with the worship team, just did it a moment ago, with the lights and everything else that we add, I'm fine with that. When Moses on that mountain, there was lights and smoke and thunder, so it's all biblical <laughs> for me anyway. You want to you engineer, engineer the atmosphere. When Jesus fed the 5,000... It's pretty amazing. Obviously, you know, and some people feel that might have been 10 to 15,000 because there was 5,000 men and women and children weren't counted. And so there was a huge crowd and he taught and there was miracles, signs and wonders. And then he noticed that the people are hungry and the disciples want to get rid of the people. Never, never want to get rid of the people. Work whatever we got to do. That's why you're adding more services. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you don't, if God's bringing people, you don't want to send them away. The disciples had a problem with that. Send them away, Lord. Send them away. You know, there's a Chick-fil-A down the block. Send them over there, and, and we, we can't do this. In fact, even the, the women with the babies, they wanted to send them away too. And the disciples, three years with Jesus, the best preacher, uh, preacher, pastor, teacher ever, and they still didn't get it. Well, we don't want to be too hard on them because we don't get it sometimes also. But feeding the 5,000 in all four Gospels, Jesus is very intentional about telling the disciples to tell the people to put them on green grass. I think that was significant. He was worried about where they were sitting, not on hard rocks or soil. Get them on the green grass and put them in 50s and 100s. Those are like little blocks of people so that they can distribute the fish and the bread, all intentional. And when you read it at, uh, in Mark's gospel, they made sure they picked up all the leftover. There was no waste. Jesus was very intentional about creating the atmosphere. We have to, yes, we're always led by the Spirit. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is leading us how to engineer the atmosphere so that when people come here, they sense the presence of God. They want the presence of God. I really believe as they're walking up those steps, they should feel the presence of God. 
because of you guys praying and what you're creating and what you're doing. In Mark 3, uh, Jesus was talking to a crowd and he realized the crowd was getting so big that the people in the back weren't hearing. So he asked for a boat. Remember that story? He asked to borrow a boat. Why? So that when he stepped back, the line of sight got better for the people. Because remember, they were on a bank and he was on the ocean or the sea, Galilee. And so he asked for a boat so the line of sight would be good. But also, they didn't have speakers in those days. The water acted like a speaker system so there would be acoustics so the people could hear. It was all intentional. It was all, what do we need to do to make sure everyone that comes here can hear right and see right? It's being very intentional about making sure that, uh, that we do these things for the Lord. And now you're adding another service. We got Palm Sunday. Uh, and then, uh, how many services on Sunday? Easter Sunday, four, five, seven, eight, five. <laughs> Prophecy? No. <laughs> it's a tough day, guys. Tough day. Sometimes it gets like that. In, in, in Mark, in the third chapter and the sixth chapter, it says they had no time to eat. Every day did they have no time to eat? No. But these certain days, these certain times, when the crowd was there, they didn't have time to eat. And Easter Sunday is going to be like that. So fill up on carbs on Saturday. <laughs> Go to bed early. You know, they say you can't. Uh, you can't uh, soar with the eagles in the day if, you, if, if you're hooting with the owls at night. Go to bed early. Make sure you, you got to think it through because you're going to have a lot of people here. And suppose you can't get all the people in and you're going to have to add another service. Suppose. That means, you know, you got to be very proactive about making sure you're taking care of yourself. Your family, I love the fact that they're breaking it up in teams and some people are going to get the morning shift and some are going to get the evening shift. I get that. That's wise. That's wisdom. We need to make sure that we're ready for that. Mark 6 talks about straining at the oars. Easter is going to be a straining at the oars. That was when, remember, Jesus sent him to the other side of the lake. He wasn't in the boat that time. He was in the boat the first time in the storm. And the second time he was in the storm, he wasn't, which tells me there are more than one storm in my life. And sometimes I can feel and see Jesus, and sometimes I can't. But we're not saved by feelings. We're not saved by sight. We're saved by faith, right? Okay. The Bible says Jesus saw them straining at the oars. Sometimes in ministry, it's not all the time, but sometimes there's a strain. There's a workload. The engineer calls in sick and he can't come in, so somebody got to fill in for him. That's always frightening, especially if you don't know about sound. <laughs> but there are, there are times that it's just, you just, listen, they were straining at the oars. They were in the middle of the night, in the middle of the lake. They thought they were going to die, and they were obeying Jesus because he told them to go on the lake. Sometimes you're straining yourself and you're obeying God. You're following orders and yet you find yourself in a storm. You find yourself in a difficult situation. I'm just reminding us. I'm just reminding us. Ecclesiastes 10.10. If the axe is dull and the edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed. How does an axe get dull? Any of the Boy Scouts in the room, explorers, an axe gets dull by use. If you never used it, it wouldn't get dull. So God's using you, and there's a potential for you to get dull. That's why we have to be very intentional about making sure we take care of ourselves, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, that we have that downtime, that we decompress. And some of you that are not full-time ministry and you're working jobs, yet you're in ministry, you need to be very intentional about making sure you get a breather, that you spend time with God, that you spend time with God, that you, you make sure you have a Sabbath. And I'm terrible at keeping Sabbaths. I'm being transparent with you. Because sometimes the calls on Monday, I'm not permitted to ignore them. 
the person who got it brought to the hospital, the person whose loved one passed away, or we had a leak like you just did in your church. Is that public that you had a leak? Yeah. All right. Well, now it is. <laughs> Why did you invite him? <laughs> Uh, sometimes you just can't, but you, you, you do your best to make sure you have that downtime. So you just rest your body, you rest your mind, you rest your emotions. Because we're an emotional church. You know, we're not like that cold hand, fish handshake. We're emotional. We're hugging and kissing everybody and loving on everybody and singing our lungs out. Even if you can't sing, you're singing your lungs out. So you need time to just decompress. And, 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 and if you're not careful, you know what? You, you lose your edge. Uh, when Elisha was working with the, with the, prophets, 2 Kings verses 6, 1 to 7, it says they lost the axe head. The axe head was lost while they were building. You could lose your edge while you're serving, while you're building. And so we have to be intentional about that. Uh, another good thing to remember, the Song of Solomon. Whenever I would talk about the Song of Solomon, all my boys would freak out. Dad, you can't read that. You can't read all those parts in Song of Solomon. You can't say it in the church. Well, it's in the Bible. Yeah, but you can't read it. I got to cover my ears. Song of Solomon, first chapter, 6 verse. First, first chapter, six verse. They made me keeper of the vineyard, but my own vineyard I have not kept. They made me keeper of the vineyard. The vineyard produces fruit, right? They made me keeper of the vineyard, but my own vineyard I did not. There are things in ministry that makes me do certain things. But the busyness of meetings, staff meetings, prep meetings, prepping for sermons, uh, counseling, late night counseling, uh, things that may go on, uh, I could lose sight of taking care of this vineyard while I'm doing everybody else. And if I don't take care of this, if I don't take care of this vineyard, I'll, I won't have fruit. I won't have fruit. Um, remember the story of Martha and Mary? Um, <clears throat> Jesus is at the house. Let's see, it was Jesus, the 12 disciples, that's 13. Lazarus, Martha, Mary, so that's at least 16. I don't know if they brought anybody else with them. Um, but that's, a, you know, listen, they didn't have microwave then. No Chick-fil-A. You couldn't order out, right? Uh, you, if you wanted to do bread, you had to knead it. You had to mix it. If you wanted an animal, you had to kill it. You had to slaughter it. You had to gut it. You know, you had to keep the fire. It was a lot of work. No refrigeration. Um, so when 16 people show up for dinner, it's going to require work. Well, when you read about Luke 10, Martha Mary, both of them are in the kitchen serving. And then Mary, at one point, got away from Martha and went and sat by Jesus' feet. Martha was working. She was serving, right? She was in the kitchen. And at some point, she comes out like a girl from Bushwick. I mean, she just <laughs> ranting and raving and putting her hair back, taking off her earrings, just screaming at Jesus for her sister being out here and not helping me, judging her sister, condemning her sister. She's serving, but where was her joy? There was no fruit in her. There was criticism and judgment, and, and she's rebuking Jesus. And Jesus said, no, she's doing the right thing. There's a place to serve, but then there's a place to sit. And guys, ministry can captivate us, and we, don't, we lose sight of sitting. We can get so caught up in the work of the Lord that we lose sight of the Lord of the work. We get so caught up in the work of the Lord that we lose sight of the Lord of the work. And it can happen to anybody with good intentions, with good intentions. Ministry requires servant leadership. Don't you love, that's a great title, servant leadership. You know when you're a servant, when somebody treats you like one? He's in my seat. He's in my seat. That's my seat. I'm supposed to be there. Someone gets ahead of you online, whatever it might be. Am I supposed to end? I, I, I hear music. I hear music. Do you have one of those trap doors that just everybody else? Check them. Okay, I heard music right away. That's all we do, play the music. He stops. 
We have to be very careful. Being a servant leader really requires intentionality. Really requires intentionality. In Numbers 3, uh, Moses organizing, of course, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, um, about what t- different groups would do. There was a group called the Marianites. Their job, how spiritual does this sound? Their job was to take care of the tent pegs and the tent ropes. Dirty, dusty tent ropes and tent pegs. That was their job. Not spiritual, but that was their job. The Kohathites, their job was to move the furniture that was in the tabernacle. Well, that sounds, that sounds spiritual, right? The thing is, everybody else could use a cart and an ox, but the Kohathites had to carry everything on their shoulders. What does that tell me? That tells me that some ministries is harder than others. It is. It just isn't a kingdom. When I, when I was at Brooklyn Tabernacle, I was a church where you and I went to for 10 years. Um, I was over the street ministry and the prison ministry, played drums, did a lot of the mission work when they would do a, a bring uh, concerts out there with the choir. And we would rent these uh, soccer stadiums. And, and by the way, you play great, son. You do a good job. No, he does. He does. He does. I love the pads. Um, but... Um, At, before we would have to get to the meetings two to three hours before everybody else and then afterwards everybody's going to the food trucks to eat the bodegas we're taking down equipment we got there before everybody left after everybody if it rained <laughs> guess who got wet but this is what God asked us to do different than the person singing or the person preaching and, and you got to be okay with that otherwise it, it can sour your spirit. Uh, Palm Sunday, we're coming up to it, right? Remember, Jesus was in Bethpage, and he sent two guys to Bethany, which was two miles away, to get the donkey. And then those two guys brought the donkey back to Bethpage, another two miles, to Jesus. And then Jesus and all the disciples went back two miles to where they were going back to Bethany. Like, if I was those two guys, why don't we all just go? Why, why do we all got to go back and forth so many times? I don't know what the answer is, but if that's what God tells you to do, you do it. Whatever happens, you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Read Colossians 4 when you get a chance, starting at verse 7. Colossians 4. Paul lists a bunch bunch of men and women that served him. Some were letter carriers. Some were volunteer prisoners. Volunteer prisoners. And prison is rough today. You know about Rikers and all that. Look, it has attention. I've been there so many times. But the prison Paul, Paul was in was a lot worse than what's in Rikers. No indoor plumbing, no lighting, cold, damp. He had people volunteer, people that went on, on voyages and ships with him. Um, travel companions, but they saw some tough stuff. Um, but they were servant leaders. They served. They did whatever the ministry wanted them to do. And it's so important for us to understand. When you list the names of all the, in, in, in Chronicles, first chapters one to nine, a whole bunch of names. You'll never name your children after any of those names in those nine chapters. But God knows those who people are working for the kingdom. In, in Romans 16, 26 names are listed. We don't know who they are. We have no idea for the most part. But they're there because they helped. Um, being a servant leader, the best example was Jesus when he washed the disciples' feet, Remember? All 12 pairs, Judas was there. Judas is a perfect example of how that you could be really close to Jesus and yet so far. He heard all the same teaching. He saw all the miracles. He went out with somebody to witness, to preach the kingdom. But he was too caught up with himself. You know, we got a bad decisions made with good intentions are still bad decisions. We got to guard ourselves. Emotions, emotions can really distort the truth. You know, Adam and Eve were given a garden of Eden and a great place to be, and 
And um, the devil was cunning. And the devil was telling that if you eat this fruit, you know, you're going to be like God. So emotions kicked in. They ate the fruit. We're all suffering from it. Right? We're still suffering. Hannah, um, Hannah uh, and, um, and Abraham. Abraham and Sarah, excuse me. They wanted a child. God promised them a child when Abraham was 75 and Sarah was uh, 65. Ten years passed, no child. They come up with a bright idea to use a surrogate, an Egyptian slave named Hagar, produced an Ishmael. They were emotionally tied to have a child, but they ended up producing an Ishmael. And whenever you go out of the will of God, you produce an Ishmael. Remember Peter, Matthew 16, Jesus with the disciples. And uh, he says, who do the people say that I am? And I think it got quiet, like those pop quizzes, you know, nobody wants to answer first. And so somebody says, well, some people say you're like... Um, you know, Jeremiah or Elisha or John the Baptist. And then Peter, who's usually impetuous, says, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. And Jesus said, that's revelation. You got that from my Father. And then a few verses later, Jesus is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem where they're going to arrest me and crucify me and I'm going to die. And now Peter takes Jesus to the side and starts rebuking him. And then Jesus had to rebuke him. Get thee behind me, Satan. Pretty strong. One minute with emotions... He's speaking revelation. The next minute, he's getting rebuked. Emotions can distort God's truth right in your life. You have to be so careful about that. You don't want to do anything that seems right. Proverbs 14, 12. There are things that may seem right, but they're not God. There are a way that seems right and it leads to death. When David wanted to bring in the ark, it seemed right from the dude that he had 30,000 people helping him. Singers, dancers, soldiers, priests, all bringing in the ark. But because they didn't check the scripture and they didn't pray, there was death. I don't want to do something that seems right. I, guys, I'm sharing my heart with you. Every meeting, we've been doing how many meetings for 37 years? I don't want to ever think I'll just do it like I did last week. I don't want to just repeat what I did last week. I want to make sure that, um, that I'm doing what God tells me to do. Words. How long did we spend in worship? 20 minutes? Something like that? We felt God, right? Because we were saying words that exhorted, words that encouraged, words that brought comfort. If we would have taken the same room with the same amount of people and said words that were toxic, we would have felt death. We would have felt death. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. That's why it's so important that when you encourage one another, and if you don't see that person, you can text now. Hey, I've been thinking about you, praying for you, praying for the ushers today, praying for the sound team today, praying for the musicians today. Words bring life, or they bring death. And we determine what we're going to say and how we're going to say it. You know, Paul told the church at Ephesus, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. No unwholesome talk, but only what is beneficial for building up. Otherwise, the next verse, verse 30, you grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you realize by us saying words that are, are, are condemning or, or sarcastic, we, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And you want the Holy Spirit in your meeting. You want him here. You don't want just a, another concert. You can go to Broadway if you want a concert. You want the power of God working. So our words determine whether or not the Holy Spirit's going to be here. We do everything. Philippians, he, did, he wrote this from a prison. Philippians 2, 14. Do everything without complaining. we got to encourage one another. Never give up on prayer. With your small group, with your services, when you meet with your ministry, never give up on prayer. There are times you got to stretch yourself out like Elisha. And don't pray those Gehazi prayers that are north of the neck. You stretch yourself out, and you get on that prayer line with eye to eye, mouth to mouth, hand to hand, and you stretch yourself again and again until you see a breakthrough, right? I, I love the book of Acts. We're coming up close to Pentecost Sunday, and that first Pentecost Sunday, Peter, no notes, no Bible, 
no playbook. I mean, talk about winging it, but God brought everything to life, which he will do when God puts you in a position. 3,000 souls get saved and baptized. And uh, then that's Acts 2. And then when you get to the 42nd verse, it gives us, it gives us kind of a playbook that I think we should always follow. It says, and they would devote itself, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to pastors' teaching. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to fellowship, small groups, community, like what you're doing here, to the breaking of bread, which is probably dinner, but also communion, and to prayer. Those were four foundational legs. You're all sitting on a chair right now, and that chair has four legs. You can sit on it. You can rest your coffee cup on it. If you had to adjust one of the lights, you could stand on it and adjust one of the lights. Remove one leg. It's still a chair, but you can't sit on it. You can't put a coffee cup on it. You can't reach the light to fix anything. See, we can still have ministry, but if we don't have these four foundational legs, we won't be able to, God won't be able to use us to the level that he wants to use us. I, I need a little bit more time, guys. That's what you always say to be kind. But, and that's what preachers always say. But I just, I just, I want to, I want to put this in you. I want you to finish well. I want you to finish well. Beginning well is momentary. Finishing well is a lifelong thing. And uh, we've seen now in the last few years how many politicians, newscast reporters, educators, coaches, athletes, pastors, worship leaders did not finish well. I don't believe anybody woke up that morning and said, I think I'm going to mess up. They stopped being intentional. They went on autopilot. And Decay said it. And uh, my opinion, I believe it's either pride, pride, lust, or greed. Pride, lust, or greed. I believe that's what usually takes people out. According to Dallas Seminary, it says that uh, two-thirds of the leaders in the Bible did not finish well. Two-thirds. Now, I've, I've never checked that out. I saw that in an article. It doesn't mean that the leaders went to hell or they lost their salvation. They just left with a blemish. They left with a blemish. And, uh, you know, Paul says, you know, I'm going to finish the race. I'm going to do everything to finish. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to complete the task that God gave, gave me. And you know what? Hebrews says you got to throw off your weights, right? Uh, so that you can run, throw off your weights and the sin that so easily besets us. We get the sin. We get the sin. The weights, that's not sin, but they hold you back. Personal story, because you might not ever bite me back, so I'm giving you all these stories now. <laughs> when we and I got saved, our druggy friends got saved at the same time. So all of a sudden, there's about 35 people all serving the Lord now. Um, and two of our real closest friends, they weren't married, but close friends, um, they were just doing things that we just felt uncomfortable with. I, I, I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be judgmental, but... You know, yeah, we were in the clubs before we got saved, but we didn't feel to go back to the clubs. You know, it just it was what God did with us. We changed our clothing because our clothing was immoral. We, 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 we got rid of jewelry that we know was connected with the immoral lifestyle. But our, these two particular friends didn't. And uh, it was awkward. And they would say things, want to watch things or go to a movie, and it just really bothered us. Um, so there was a point where we had to choose not to hang with them anymore. They're Christians. It's tough. It's awkward. And I'm not saying we're better than them, but they, they became a weight. And we're trying to, knowing where God saved us from, we're trying to, we never had any plans of becoming pastors. That wasn't, wasn't even on the radar. We just wanted to serve God. But our friends were, these two were a weight, and we had to abandon them. And that was, that was tough. That was tough. 
Um, Mexico City, 1968, and I promise I'll close. Summer Olympics, 26.2 miles. There was a runner there named John Aquarian, number 36 from Tanzania. And um, all the men are lining up, and they're going to do one lap in the soccer stadium, and then out throughout Mexico City, 26 miles. And John started out well with all the rest of them, but somewhere midpoint, somewhere midpoint, there was a collision as they were jockeying for position. And John was in that collision, and he went down. He went down hard on his knee, on his elbow, and on his forehead. And they had these white Jeeps with big red crosses on the door panels so that if someone got hurt, they would put them in the Jeep and take them back. But you forfeit race. You forfeit the race. So uh, John is trying to regain his, his, his equilibrium and kind of get focused. And the Jeep pulls up and some of the runners, do you want to get in the Jeep? And some decided to. And they asked John, do you want to get in? You're really bleeding bad. We need to check you out. He said, no, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep running. So John Aquari, John Aquari, 36 from Tanzania, he's running again, but he's not running like he was before. Now he's running like this. Gets around the 20-mile mark, and the Jeeps come around again and say, John, you're really hurt. I think you should get in the Jeep. You think you should reconsider. There's always another marathon. He said, no, no, I'm not. Late in the afternoon, most of the runners got through, did their lap, their victory lap. Most of the audience had left. Some families from some of the runners that were still there were there. The news media was there, and they were interviewing all the different runners from the different countries, you know, getting their testimonies. When John comes through the entrance, and he's limping around, and he has to make this last victory lap, and someone saw John come in and stood up and started to clap. And then people saw him clapping, and other people started to clap. And now... The few people that were there are all rooting John on as he's making this final pass. In fact, the, the news media, they all left the news media and they're all focusing on John. And the news media left the runners, the rest of the runners, and now they're focusing on John. And John comes all the way around and he gets past the finish line and he's leaning over and he's bleeding and he's breathing and he's exhausted. And the news media are putting their mics in his face and say, John, why didn't you stop? Why didn't you stop? Why did you keep pushing yourself? And John Aquari, number 36 from Tanzania, said, my country did not send me 10,000 miles to start a race. My country sent me 10,000 miles to finish a race. God did not call you here just to start. God called you here to finish the task for the church here, for this community. Don't ever quit. I want you to stand, please. Would you stand? Hey, can I get those singers back? I'm really taking over, right? It's the Italian in me. Just, just come back. And sing that song that you like about the Spirit. Sing that for me. I'm more anointed if people sing. I know that. Let me pray. And we'll all sing. Because what we need, I mean, as much instruction as you get, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters, and I thank you for this great church. Pastor Miriam and Pastor Anthony and all the pastoral staff and, and these workers, these dedicated, committed, sacrificial servants of the Lord. And I'm praying, oh God, for your favor to be upon them. 
I pray for your anointing. I pray for the oil of the Holy Spirit to flow down as they stay united from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet, that they would reach this community like never before. I thank you for Palm Sunday. I thank you for Easter. I thank you that the, the two weekends that are most attended by people, people that are nominal about even going to church, but they're going to come. And I pray there's going to be a great outpouring of your spirit and people are going to get saved. There's going to be lives turned around. They're going to be Michael and Maria's that are going to get saved and walk with you for the rest of their lives. So God, I'm asking for such an anointing for everyone that will sing, for everyone that will preach, for those that hold our babies, for those that care for our children, for those that watch the door. I pray as the people come here, God, they'll sense the greeters and the, and the hosts and the ushers. They'll sense the presence of God from them that before they even hear a song or a message, they'll feel God's presence. God, I'm asking you to pour out your spirit like never before. These are desperate times. Just like Pastor Miriam said, we're living in wicked ways, oh God, but you have us here. We're the light. We're the light. We're the light. And I'm asking, oh God, that this place will shine brightly, that it will affect families and children, generations to come. Do it, Lord, in a very special way. I pray for Pastor Anthony as he leaves and Pastor Miriam, that you just give them wisdom and direction like never before to do what you've called them to do. I pray you breathe on them, fresh wind, fresh fire, Lord. That everyone that comes here will find times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you and you alone all the glory, all the honor, and the praise. Let's sing this together, guys.